As we find the prophet Jonah this morning, God has called him to preach to the city of Nineveh. Now today that region is located in modern-day Mosul in Iraq, which until recently was occupied by the terrorist group ISIS. Apparently even in Jonah's day, Nineveh was occupied by some pretty bad people, and God was planning to destroy the whole city if Jonah failed uh, to help them repent for their sins. But Jonah, reluctant to take on the job, is sailing in the opposite direction, fleeing from God's call. So God sends a storm to stop his ship, and Jonah pleads with the sailors to throw him overboard that they might be spared the wrath of the storm. But there's a part of Jonah, I think, that wants to sink into the sea. He's not just afraid to go to Nineveh. Jonah is struggling with deeper issues that prevent him from doing what he was born to do. Maybe in this text he is drowning both literally and figuratively. And he's not going to make it to shore without some help. So they picked Jonah up and threw him into the sea. And the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord even more, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. But the Lord provided a large fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the, the God, to the Lord his God, from the belly of the fish, saying, I called to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. You cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight. How shall I look again upon your holy temple? The waters closed in over me. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. As my life was ebbing away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who worship vain idols forsake their true loyalty. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will pay. Deliverance belongs to the Lord. Then the Lord spoke to the fish, and it spewed Jonah out upon the dry land. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Amen. Please pray with me. Everlasting God, creator of all things, of every heart and soul, may the words of my mouth and the meditations upon all of our hearts serve to glorify you, and may they be in keeping always with the teachings of our Savior, Jesus Christ, whose healing touches us all, and in whose name we pray. Amen. He stood waiting in the wings, just a few feet off stage, hyperventilating into a brown paper bag. Everything here 
felt so much bigger than him. The egos of his more seasoned colleagues, the size of the audience, the millions of viewers who tuned in each and every week to watch him tell a few jokes, it made him feel small, like a powerless creature who'd been swallowed whole by a monster. Since 1975, the television show Saturday Night Live has been a fixture in American pop culture. Dozens of famous comedians, everyone from Eddie Murphy to Tina Fey, got their big break on SNL. They went on to launch meteoric careers in television and film, becoming household names and bringing laughter to people all over the world. For aspiring young comedians, it's the best gig in town. A chance, a real chance at a one-way ticket towards fame and fortune. But for Bill Hader, who spent eight years on the show and became one of its most celebrated performers, it was a nightmare. His anxiety would slowly build each week as the days passed until Saturday night came and he found himself suffering from full-blown panic attacks backstage hyperventilating and gasping for breath like a man at the bottom of the sea. Shouldn't be too surprising, really, given that public speaking scares most people more than death itself. I can't imagine the pressure of knowing that every weekend you've got to get up in front of a crowd of people in a costume <laughs> and try to engage them, make them think, make them laugh. Must be even harder doing it first thing in the morning. <laughs> in all seriousness, though, uh, I get through most Sundays without panic attacks or shortness of breath. But I'd be lying if I told you that preaching didn't make me just a little bit anxious. But performing on Saturday Night Live, that's a whole other level. That is way more than I could ever handle. In Hater's words from a recent interview, I love the people there, but doing that show was really hard for me, he explained. It's like the thing you're good at and you're making a good living at kind of destroys you because you're so terrified of it. It was more than cold feet. It was crippling anxiety that went on for eight long years. And even so, Hader clung to it with everything he had. God, I just didn't want to get fired, he later confessed. Carrying on like that would have broken him, would have broken anyone, I think. But he finally got help. He sought out therapy and counseling, where he realized that he was predisposed towards this anxiety and where he found the wisdom and courage to take his career in a slightly different direction. He's mostly stepped away from stand-up comedy and live television now, using his talents instead for voice acting and film, and a new television show called Barry, that channels his personal experience. It's a, it's a show about a hitman named Barry who suffers from depression and anxiety and PTSD, and he decides to pursue a career in acting instead, finding a new purpose in life. It's a dark comedy, my favorite kind, but it's also a poignant story about the pressure of doing what it is you were born to do portrayed by an actor who struggles with that very same calling. Being a prophet wasn't easy either, and it wasn't easy for Jonah. Biblical prophets 
had a really hard job. They were called to voice unpopular opinions and to voice them loudly and to take the heat for their actions. And sometimes that meant making enemies out of kings and queens, hiding out in the wilderness or being run out of town by angry mobs. God wanted Jonah to convert an entire city of murderous, debaucherous sinners in Nineveh. It was a tough job, and Jonah wanted no part of it. It didn't help that Jonah is commonly believed to have suffered from some form of depression and anxiety. Now, Jonah wasn't a historical figure, mind you. He's a, he's a mythological character. Um, so that's an armchair diagnosis of a literary figure. So take that for what it's worth. But, but Jonah demonstrates certain characteristics that lend themselves to that interpretation. He experiences dramatic mood swings, frequently shifting his perspective of events as they're unfolding. He's up, he's down. Jonah vacillates between periods of manic activity and paralyzing inaction, finally unable to even get out of bed in the morning. And most significantly, perhaps, Jonah expresses suicidal ideation on several occasions. The first of these is on this ship that's bound for Tarshish, where Jonah's trying to get as far away from Nineveh as possible. A great storm arises out of nowhere, apparently sent by God to block Jonah's escape. And realizing that this storm has swept in on his account, Jonah volunteers to be thrown overboard for the sake of the crew. Pick me up, he tells them, and throw me into the sea, for I know it is because of me that this great storm has come upon you. Rather than trying to live up to God's expectations of him, he tries to drown himself in the ocean. And it's there, beneath those roaring waves, near death, that we get, I think, the most accurate snapshot of Jonah's life. The experience of being crushed by a terrible weight, unable to breathe, his body sinking, his vision clouded by dark waters. In other words, his experience of living with depression. The flood surrounded me, Jonah later recalls. All your waves passed over me. I went down to the land whose jaws closed upon me forever. That was true of that moment where he was sinking in the sea. But it was also true in a sense of every other day of his life. There's a powerful passage in Wade Davis's book, The Serpent and the Rainbow, that reminds me of Jonah. In this particular chapter, the author is interviewing a Haitian woman whose faculties have been compromised by a mysterious poison. And his description of her also recalls Jonah or anyone in the throes of a deep depression. Hear these words. Her eyes remained blank, he writes, and every gesture was swollen with effort. There was little spontaneous emotion, and when she left the room, she walked as if on the bottom of the sea, her body bearing the weight of all the oceans.
Suffering from any kind of mental illness can be a terrible burden to bear. Some forms are naturally worse than others, more severe, but even mild depression or anxiety can take a heavy toll on a person's life. It's a, it's a weight to carry, and it's made more difficult still by the added weight of the world's expectations. You know, society demands results, rewards success, and frowns upon anything perceived as weakness. And that makes it difficult to talk about our experience of mental illness, either our own or that of someone we love. But we've got to talk about it. For one thing, it's a justice issue. Since most of the psychiatric institutions in this country closed in the last couple of decades, folks who do struggle with mental illness have largely ended up in prison, as we all know. Statistically, over half of the prison population in America suffers from mental health issues. Our church has been uh, working to do something about that recently through our efforts in partnering with DePage United. Uh, we're trying to train police and establish crisis intervention centers where uh, people with mental health issues can be uh, taken for help instead of being put in jail. And furthermore, access to that quality health care is severely limited. It is a justice issue, but it's also a personal matter. For my part, I can really relate with Jonah's story. I felt a call to ministry at an early age, and while I didn't try to dodge it or skip town, I struggled with it. Now, not at first, mind you. At first, it, it was a glorious thing. It felt like being touched by the hand of God. And I embraced that call eagerly. But as the journey went on, I found it to be a hard one. I'm an introvert, for one thing, so I had to uh, get over a fair bit of social anxiety in order to uh, be a leader of any kind and to you know, be amongst people. Um, I had to cultivate uh, a more socially adept part of myself. I also had a terrible fear of public speaking that I had to overcome. But the greatest challenge to my ministry, I think, was my own struggle with depression. I've talked about that publicly before, um, but it's been a while, so maybe some of you don't know. Truth is, I've always been prone to melancholy, a creeping sense of despair, a vague feeling of the angles in a room being wrong, of everything just feeling wrong, nameless sorrows that twist and spiral like DNA as if carved into my very being, things I can't always define or articulate, but are nonetheless there. My own doctor once told me that she thought my faith ought to ease my stress. She was surprised to find a pastor struggling with these issues. But it doesn't work that way. Not when you've got a chemical imbalance in your brain that leaves you vulnerable to dark moods. I try to alleviate it with gallows humor, um, which actually does help me quite a bit personally, but unfortunately it tends to offend everyone else. <laughs> when people ask me what I'm giving up for Lent, I usually reply, Hope. 
A few years ago, I finally sought out help. I see a counselor once a, uh, once a week for an hour every week who helps me sort through my life and my ministry, who helps me to keep things in perspective. I also take an antidepressant, a selective serotonin rebutake inhibitor, uh, to use the technical term. Someone after the last service told me that that was not, in fact, a scientific term, but something a marketing group would come up with. I feel like as a marketing term, they could have done a lot better. Um, in any case, it's, it helps. Uh, it helps to regulate the brain, helps me stay out of the darkest dungeons of my head. And between the therapy and the medicine, I'm able to live a pretty good life. You know, it's not stress-free. I do still have two little boys at home uh, who run me ragged, but I'm okay. I'm good. But there was this one time uh, a while back when I ran out of pills. I didn't get the refill in time, and I had a new doctor who was more strict about calling in the prescription over the phone, wanted to see me in person. I had to book an appointment. She couldn't see me right away, so um, I couldn't get the refill right away. And while the days passed by, each one brought new withdrawal symptoms. I was, I was dizzy, suffering from vertigo, paranoid, jumping at the shadows that seemed to creep up on me like gibbering, squeamish creatures. After five days in this state, I found myself standing in the pharmacy, sweating, my hands shaking, begging the lady behind the counter for just a couple of pills to get me through until the prescription got filled. And even though, as I understand it, that's a pretty standard practice, she refused. This was the Walgreens over on Roosevelt Road. <laughs> People need to understand that if I have a bad experience, I'm not afraid to give a review up here in the pulpit. <laughs> anyway, I was in dire straits. I was in a bad place. Please, I whispered. Please. It was humiliating. I could feel the eyes of the other people in line staring at me. I felt like an addict begging his dealer for a fix. And in that moment, I understood what it really feels like to be ashamed of your illness. I don't share this story lightly, and I don't share it to warn of the dangers of medication because I actually endorse the use of medication wholeheartedly. If you can. Uh, find the right one and take it the way you're supposed to, it can make a world of difference. It's nothing to be ashamed of. But I tell this story because I want you all to know that I know what it means to walk beneath the weight of all the oceans, to feel the water closing over you, the weeds tangled around your head, and more importantly, like Jonah, I know what it means to walk on dry land again. God has a purpose for Jonah. And to that end, God offers salvation, sending the only thing that could reach those bottomless depths of the sea in those days, a whale, to swallow Jonah up and bring him to shore. You know, sometimes help from God comes in unexpected ways. At the risk of telling a cliched parable, uh, there's a story about a man who's drowning in the ocean. 
just barely treading water. And he's not going to last long. And he prays for God to save him. He's a man of deep faith. And a while later, a fishing boat comes along and offers to rescue him. But the guy refuses. Oh, God will save me, he tells the fisherman. And then a Coast Guard vessel sails by, tries to throw him a dinghy. Don't bother, the man tells them. God is going to save me. And finally, a helicopter breaks through the clouds and lowers a ladder down to his position. No thanks, the guy shouts. God's going to rescue me. And then a few minutes later, the man drowns. In the afterlife, he meets God and he says, hey, what's the big idea? I trusted you. I believed in you. I thought you were going to save me. To which God replies, who do you think sent the fishermen, the coast guard, and the helicopter? Help is out there if we're willing to ask for it. Sure, sometimes you've got to spend three days in the belly of a whale or in a hospital ward or three years in therapy to get to where you need to be. But once you reach the shore, once you set foot on dry land, you can fulfill your purpose in this life. It doesn't mean you won't continue to struggle. Life is a struggle. Jonah continues to struggle, but he accomplishes what God set out before him. And he helps a lot of people. You will flourish and thrive on that dry land. And just as Jonah went on to convert a nation into something so pious that even the livestock repented and wore sackcloth, Every child of God has a role to play in shaping the world. God has a will and a purpose for everyone, for Jonah, for you, for me. But you can't fulfill it while you're drowning. I got the help I needed, and that means I'm able to answer my call. I'm able to flourish and thrive. I can define myself by my vocation, by my impeccable fashion sense, and not by my struggles. Maybe you or someone you know is struggling too. You can talk to us here in the church. You can talk to me. You can talk to the clergy. We can't fix your problems, but we can guide you towards resources that can help. We're on this journey together. And here, at this table, we take sustenance together with one another and with Christ. Here, if only for a moment, you are invited to cast off the weight of all the oceans and set foot on dry land. Amen.